Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. I don't know about your, uh, your morning routine. I don't know what it's like, but if you're a normal human being, you probably start off with a cup of coffee. Uh, those of you who don't, we mourn for you and wonder how you do it, <laughs> right? Uh, but then there, there's usually breakfast, exercise, shower, a change of clothes uh, in some f- order or another, right? However, even if you've been known to skip breakfast, you don't exercise as frequently as you should, or you shower in the evening, not in the morning, I, I wager a bet that all of you change your clothes each morning, right? <laughs> Changing clothes is something that we do every day, probably a couple of times each day. Uh, Off with the old, dirty, stinky clothes, on with the new, clean, fresh clothes. At least that's what we hope you're doing every day, right? (laughs) What would happen if you never took off your old clothes? Uh, What what would happen if you just put on a, a new pair of jeans right on top of the old? The old blouse that goes over the one that you just wore all day. You wake up in your PJs, dress for work. Uh, without removing your PJs, you put on your, those clothes, right? So you go to the shop or you go to the field, uh, get all dirty and greasy. You get flour on you from baking in the kitchen. Uh, the perfume from a friend just sticks with you uh, forever, right? And then that evening when you get ready for bed, instead of taking all of that off, you just put on a different pair of pajamas right over all of it. This would have made for a great children's sermon, right? <laughs> if it wasn't Communion Sunday. <laughs> no, when we, when we, we just become that bundle of clothes and, and that would never work, right? So when we change, right, we take off the old clothes and we put on the new. And Paul talks about our spiritual lives like that as well. When we become Christians, we have new clothes that we put on, clothes that Jesus gives us. And as we do, we also need to take off once and for all the old clothes, our old habits, our old sins that we used to do. We need to put them away. This morning we'll be looking at Paul's letter to the Christians who lived in the city of Colossae. I invite you to turn, with your, uh, turn in your Bibles uh, with me to Colossians chapter 3. It's on page 925 in your pew Bible. Uh, there Paul lists some vices that Christians need to avoid, some, some dirty, rotten, stinking clothes that we need to take off, and some virtues that we should be cultivating, some new clothes that we have been given by Christ that we need to put on and put on permanently. And because this text is is a little bit longer, we're going to break it up and divide it into half. We're going to look at verses 5 through 11 first and and just look at um, what vices we need to put to death. And then later on, we'll read the rest of them. So would you stand with me this morning out of reverence for God's word? I'll be reading again from Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11, reading in Jesus' name. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self 
with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord God, this is your word. Please sanctify us in your word, in your truth this morning. Lord, may the meditations of my mouth, the words of my mouth, the meditations of every present heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. In these verses that I just read, Paul tells us what we as Christians need to put off, what we need to put away. And then in the, in the second section, beginning at verse 12, stuff we'll look at a little bit later on, he tells us what we need to put on. So first, Paul tells us as Christians that we need to put off our vices. But more than just putting something away, the language that he uses is much stronger than that. We are to put these vices to death. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he goes on to list those vices. Put them to death. Kill them. Murder them. There's some seriousness, a sense of urgency to what he's saying, isn't there? Paul, Paul doesn't just say, yeah, you know, if you, uh, if you just happen to get around to it today, could, could you maybe stop doing these stuff? And, and you know, only though if it's convenient for you. No, he's very, very serious about sin. Put these sins to death. And he's so serious about sin because either the sin is going to wind up killing you, dragging your soul into an eternity in hell, or you're going to have to kill your sin. There's nothing passive about this, not even passive-aggressive like we upper Midwesterners are so keen on doing. You need to be engaged, actively engaged daily in the slaughter of your sin. Put to death what is earthly in you. And this is accomplished, as Jesus said, by denying yourself, by saying no to those sinful impulses and temptations that come your way. Deny yourself. Put those things to death. And yet, at the same time, it's important to remember that this killing of vices can't be done in and of your own strength. This is not a fight that God expects you to do alone. Putting, uh, putting to death the sin is only possible because you have been united to Christ. Look back at the opening verses of this chapter. In verse 3, Paul says, For you have died with Christ, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This verse is talking about your justification, your right standing before God the Father. If you are a believer, God looks at you and no longer sees you and your sin, but he sees the blood of his son covering you, uh, the blood that he shed on the cross, forgiving you, wiping you clean of your sin. If you are in Christ, your life is hidden with Christ. He is in you. And therefore, this killing of vices, this putting off of sin, this daily sanctification can only be done because of Christ's indwelling presence within you through the Holy Spirit. As he dwells in you and you in him, you are changed and conformed more and more into his image each day. You have died, Paul said. Your life is hidden with Christ. And therefore, because of that reality, put to death these earthly things. 
So let's talk for a little bit about those earthly things. There are five vices that Paul mentions in verse 5, and they are by no means an exhaustive list. Paul's point in enlisting these sins isn't just to enumerate sins. If he wanted to do that, there would be no end to this list. But these five vices that he mentions are these, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness. And these five vices are all kind of wrapped up under one broader category, sexual sins. Put to death your sexual vices, Paul says. Sexual immorality refers to any sexual behavior that is, well, immoral, right? Uh, The Greek word porneia describes any behavior that is not in line with God's uh, intended design for human sexuality. And when we think of uh, sexual immorality, our judgmental minds often jump right to homosexual behavior, right? But it isn't just homosexual behavior that that is immoral and contrary to God's design that Paul is talking about. Any sexual activity outside the bonds of God ordained in marriage is immoral, premarital sex, pornography and masturbation, polygamy, polyamory, right? Any sexual activity that is outside the lifelong commitment of one man and one woman is sexual immorality. And the next three vices that Paul talks about, impurity, passion, evil desires, uh, they, they also fall under that category. We won't take time to talk about them and expand on them, but they're all related to that concept of sexual immorality, sexual impulses, the corruption of that, our impure thoughts, our wrong, lustful passions, our evil desires, and our motivations. Put them all away, Paul is saying. And the last one in verse 5, at first glance, doesn't seem to fall under that broad category of, of, of sexual sins covetousness or or greed, desire, right? Oftentimes we think of greed in terms of money, right? Uh, Rich CEOs or politicians who just want more. But greed and covetousness goes just beyond money, don't they? In the ninth and 10th commandment, the Lord warns us against all types of coveting. And it says this, you shall not covet your neighbor's, neighbor's house You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. And as we study these commandments in in confirmation, we, we note how much they are all related to one another and to the rest of the commandments. The ninth and tenth commandments, uh, especially the, the ninth commandment, or the tenth commandment, I'm sorry, uh, the prohibition against covering your, coveting your neighbor's wife can lead to a violation of the sixth commandment, which prohibits adultery, right? And adultery, of course, is contrary to God's designs and therefore is sexual immorality. See what Paul's doing there, listing them, tying them all together. And of course, when you, when you violate any one of these Ten Commandments, you violate the first one. You shall have no other gods besides the Lord your God because each of these Ten Commandments teaches you to fear, love, and trust God above all else, right? Remember that confirmation, students? Fear, love, and trust God above all else. And when you violate those commandments, when you're coveting, coveting you're no longer fearing, loving, and trusting God above all else. You're guilty, as Paul reminds us in verse 5 of of Colossians 3, you're guilty of idolatry, a violation of the first commandment. All right, confirmation class over. Thank you for (laughs) indulging me. But let's look at the next set of vices that Paul tells you to put to death. 
These vices are found in verses 8 and 9, and they break down very nicely into two, into two groups, uh, anger and abusive speech. Look at these again. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth, and do not lie to one another. If we thought we were doing okay with that first set of vices that Paul listed in verse 5, this one hits a bit closer to home, doesn't it? (laughs) Anger, wrath, malice. Who has not uh, in the last week, right, been angry with somebody or something, right? If you, uh, if you haven't gotten angry, you're either living all alone on some island in the South Pacific or uh, you're superhuman, I don't know, right? Anger is an emotion that we all feel at times. Uh, wrath is defined as a state of intense displeasure and malice is a mean-spirited or vicious attitude or disposition, Wrath is an attitude of the heart, and malice is the outworking of that. And both of those overflow from anger. And it's important to remember that anger is an emotion, just like happiness or sadness. But anger is an emotion that very, very quickly leads to sin. Anger is like the the pot on the stove when it begins to boil, sometimes slowly at first, right, but then rapidly, and if you're not careful, it it goes over, boiling out of control, and now your kitchen is a mess. Anger leads you to dangerous and rash words, decisions, and judgments. And that's why Scripture so often warns us away from anger. Christian, put away your anger. Put to death your anger. The Apostle James in his letter uh, reminds us too, uh, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And there's some deep truth in that. Put your anger to death. The second group of vices uh, has to do with our tongue and with the abusive speech that we can be so prone to utter. Slander, obscene talk, lying. Remember this old playground rhyme? It goes, sticks and stones may break by bones. How does the rest of it go? Yeah, but words may never hurt me, right? Is it true? (laughs) No, far from it, right? It's one of the the greatest lies of all times, but we as kids and as adults too try to make ourselves believe that, try to, to force ourselves to think we're tougher than the words that people say. The negative, abusive words that others can hurl at you tear you down in an instant, don't they? And I'm not talking constructive criticism here. We all can benefit that from that, right? But abusive speech, slander, lies, cruel words just for cruelty's sake. These things tear us down. They tear one another down. Again, the, the Apostle James says of the tongue, meaning the words that we say, the tongue is a, he says the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. It stains the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and is set on fire by hell. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Our words can be deadly poison. Be careful with your tongue. Be careful with what you say. We're to put those things to death. And because, because we are to put them to death, sometimes it's only natural to ask why. Why should a believer put these things to death? What is the danger, right? Our sin has consequences. Our sin has consequences, and that's what the emphasis of verse 6 is there. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. 
There are consequences for our attitudes and for our actions, for our sins, aren't there? Uh, I'll pick on my daughter. She's not here today. We've got sickness at, at home, so Liz stayed home with the kids. But when Serena was learning to crawl, um, she was also learning that she loved to pull dirt out of the potted plants at home. And like silly parents, we had potted plants on the home, and she would wander over to them and, and pick up the dirt, right, and pull it out. And we'd try to tell her no, right, but there's only so much reasoning you can do with an eight, nine-month-old, whatever she was at the time. And so we'd have to clean up her mess. And um, Naturally, we'd clean it up with the vacuum, right? But Serena hated the vacuum cleaner to the point where if she saw it in the closet, she would just begin to cry. She hated it so much. <laughs> and so the vacuum, as we were cleaning up these potted plants, the vacuum became a natural consequence for her sin. We'd say, you pull out dirt, the vacuum comes out. And she learned really quickly to stop pulling dirt out of the plants, right? <laughs> her actions had consequences, and your sin has consequences as well. On account of these things, the earthly sexual vices, Paul says, the wrath of God is coming. We can't keep doing these things and think that we're going to avoid God's judgment in, in this lifetime or the next. There are consequences for our sin. But for you who are believers in Christ, there are some wonderful promises that are alluded to in these verses. And in verse 7, Paul says that in these you too once walked when you were living in them. Did you notice some of the, the tenses of those verbs? They are past tense verbs, right? Meaning that, they, uh, meaning that they were what they describe already happened in the past. It's as if Paul is saying, yes, Colossians, you used to do those things, but now in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. In Christ, the Colossians and every believer has been removed from that domain of sin and transferred, brought to the kingdom of his son, of Jesus. And Paul mentions this reality again in verses 9 and 10 where he says, seeing that you have already put off this old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The reality for you, believer, is that the putting off of, of vices and the putting on of the new self clothed in Christ has already been done for you by Christ. The moment you first believed, the Lord removed from you this old sinful clothing, the baggage, and he gave you this new nature, this new creation in Christ, empowered by the Spirit. You, believer, are a new creation in Christ Jesus because of his blood shed for you on the cross. And that's the wonderful reality. And we don't want to lose sight of that in the list of these vices and these virtues. Putting those things off. You have been changed by Christ. So put to death those sinful inclinations, Paul says. And next, he tells us as followers of Christ what we are to put on, what we need to cultivate in our lives. Look at verses 12 through 17 with me. Paul says this. He says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Before Paul gets into these virtues that need to be cultivated in Christian living, Paul reminds you of your identity in Christ, who you are in Christ. And if we read this text really fast, we're prone to skip over it. In verse 12, Paul identifies you as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Think about that. You are chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. He knew you by name, formed you together, knit you together in your mother's womb. You are chosen by him. You're holy. That means you are set apart for him and for his purposes. Right? You are beloved. And just stop and ponder that for a while, right? The creator of the universe, the God who spun galaxies into existence with just his words, calls you beloved. No matter what you're going through, no matter the hard times you're facing, you are beloved by our Creator. Let that reality sink in before we, <laughs> before we go on and talk about these virtues, right? You are beloved. And you know what? Nothing you can do can cause God to love you anymore or, or be pleased with you any more than he already is because of Jesus. In Christ, you are beloved. Do not forget that. And so as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, these are just some of the virtues that we need to cultivate, some of the virtues that we need to put on as we are in Christ. And it's important to notice that these, that these virtues aren't something we, we pull out of the closet, wear for a day, wash, dry, fold, wear, put away until the next time we need them. No, the, these virtues are, are what we put on that characterize our Christian lives. This, this, part of our, this is part of our identity, who we are in Christ as his bride, as his chosen, holy, and beloved ones. These should mark us daily. And Paul lists six virtues that believers are to wear and to cultivate. And like the list of, of vices earlier, this isn't a complete list, but it's a good start. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and above all, love. Compassion and kindness. Man, those are lacking in society today, aren't they? Everybody trampling others, putting them down. There's no compassion. There is no kindness. But as followers of Christ, these virtues are to set us apart. Compassion is what reaches out to the hurting and to the suffering and says, I am here for you. Let's go through this together. Kindness goes out to all, regardless of uh, not just the suffering, right? Kindness is, is, is honestly really forgotten about today. We're so focused inward, so focused on ourselves that we forget to be kind, that we forget to be nice to one another, right? Put on compassion. Put on kindness. Put on humility and meekness, he says. Humility and meekness place us below others. They say, I'm not the most important person in the room. Humility and meekness look out for the needs and the interests of others. And of all of these virtues on the list, I don't know about you, but for me, patience is, is probably the hardest, right? Patience holds back thoughts and words and judgments until all the facts are known. 
Um, patience isn't easily angered. I like the, the King James translation, some of the older translations for that word patience. It's long-suffering. <laughs> I like that, right? Long-suffering means you've got a long fuse. You don't blow up the instant something happens. You're patient. And finally, Paul mentions in verse 14 the final virtue that should characterize Christians. Love, right? Love binds them all together, not merely like a, a belt that completes the ensemble, but as a, as a cloak that covers everything. Love, sacrificial, agape love, a love that puts the needs of, of others first, uh, allowing your wants and your wishes to be taken care of later after you've taken care of others. These are the virtues that we should cultivate and so it's all good to say, yes, I'm a Christian. And so I've put these virtues on. I've put on love. I've put on patience. I'm trying to be kind, right? All the rest, right? Uh, but verse 13 is really where the rubber meets the road. Verse 13 is the, the how of all of this. Paul tells us that when we've put these virtues on, we will bear with one another and forgive each other. What does compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and love, what do they look like in reality? What do they look like in practice? Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. <laughs> Bearing with one another is the Bible's way of telling us to put up with one another. Uh, one commentator, he put it this way, he says, uh, this indicates a somewhat grudging willingness to put up with difficult circumstances or people. We all have uh, certain people we don't like, right? <laughs> For whatever reason, too, right? Their, their personality just grates us. They have a laugh that sounds like nails on chalkboard. They, they have a lack of what we would deem to be common sense, right? And you, you don't need me to draw the picture for you. Uh, I'm sure you've already pictured that coworker or that family member, that associate pastor uh, that just uh, drives you nuts, right? <laughs> Putting on the virtues of, of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and love looks a lot like a grudging willingness to put up with them. Why? Because we are all part of the body of Christ. We need to be united as a community of saints, not just on, on a global and eternal holy Christian church communion of saints type level, right? But on a practical congregational level here. This means that when you gather with fellow Christians on Sundays and throughout the weeks, you may find yourself sometimes in the company of somebody uh, that you just don't like. And the Bible says, if I can paraphrase, tough, deal with it, <laughs> right? For the sake of for the sake of the, the body of Christ, the Christian community on a congregational level, sometimes we need to bear with one another and put up with them and their faults and their shortcomings. Because sometimes soon, and probably if we're in all reality thinking of it rightly, probably right now you know that somebody else is bearing and putting up with you, right? <laughs> and your faults and your shortcomings. And naturally then, this bearing with one another leads, as Paul mentions in verse 13, to forgiving one another. Putting up with them, yes, absolutely, but go a step further. Don't hold their sins and their shortcomings against them. Forgive them, right? You can put up with somebody for once a week for an hour, but to forgive them uh, even when they don't deserve it, and probably especially when they don't deserve it, is, is the mark of a greater, deeper love. And it, begins, it becomes easier to forgive others when we're stripped of our pride and our arrogance and when we're clothed with compassion and humility and kindness and meekness and patience and love. We realize our own faults first and foremost. 
And then it's easier to bear with one another and to forgive each other because we realize how much we have been forgiven by God. And when you look at the cross and you see the love of God poured out for you, a dirty, rotten sinner like you, how can you do anything other than forgive your neighbor, uh, your brother and sister in Christ, no matter how long you have to bear with them? Christ has already forgiven you way more than anyone uh, has sinned against you. Who are you to hold a grudge? And lastly, Paul says that we need to put on a life of thankful worship. And unfortunately, there, there isn't time to dive into these verses uh, this morning, verses 15 through 17. Uh, they each could be a sermon in and of themselves, but we have uh, communion and, and Sunday school, and I need to be respectful of that time as well. So let me conclude this message uh, simply by reading these verses. And as I read them, I ask that you take them home this week, meditate on them, apply them to your lives. Uh, listen to the emphasis of thanksgiving. In three times it's mentioned. Uh, listen to these verses again, verses 15, 16, and 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our lives, everything that we do, should be marked by thankfulness. The peace of Christ, freely given as he shed his blood on the cross for you, goes with us through every circumstance of life. The word of Christ, his gospel, his message should permeate and dominate our, our thoughts and our minds, our hearts. Not just one hour here on Sunday mornings, but it should overflow into every area and aspect of our lives, seasoning our speech and our conduct and our attitude. And finally, Paul says, the name of Christ should guide everything that you do. Our lives are to be lives of thankful worship for his peace, his word, and his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, again, I thank you for this day and for this truth, for the truth of your text, Lord. Help us to every day put off the old self, put on the new self. We thank you for sending Jesus who died on the cross for us. Help us to be conformed each day. Lord, help us to bear with one another, forgiving one another uh, as you have forgiven us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.